Good morning and welcome to High Point Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. As always, it's a pleasure to be with you here today, especially if this is your first time. Uh, we just want to say welcome. Uh, thrilled to be worshiping together with you uh, online today. Uh, if you had the opportunity uh, to be with us in the last couple weeks, we had our first in-person service uh, in about a year um, at, our, at our new location, the Historic Church in downtown Kennesaw. Then we had an outdoor service uh, at the amphitheater right across the street. So we've had two in-person services. Who would have thought a year ago that we'd be celebrating the ability to get together in person? Uh, but we are. It was, it's been a wonderful, wonderful time to worship and celebrate together. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, though, before I get into the message. And that's that this service, obviously, and next Sunday are virtual services. So we'll be online together. But then on the 25th, April 25th, the last Sunday of this month, we will be back at the historic church again for service. 9 o'clock service, 1030 service. Registrations are open, which you've already heard about. Uh, and it's going to be a great time. So don't miss it. Just your schedule. Take off work, do whatever you need to do, and let's worship together on the 25th. That being said, we're going to rewind the clock a little bit right now, and we're going to finish up a series that we have been preaching through 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, what to do with the overwhelmingly complicated... <laughs> They're literally telling me the title of it because the title of our series is Overwhelmingly Complicated, Impossibly Difficult Problem of People, whatever it is. It's the Difficult People series that everyone has made fun of me for. Uh, we made the title literally illustrative of the issue. Uh, people are difficult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, people are difficult. And if you're immediately thinking of somebody else right now, I have bad news for you. Okay, you are difficult also. Everyone is difficult, myself included. Um, so what do we do about this? Our church, High Point, you know, we're, we are relaunching over the summer. You're going to hear about foundations, and you're going to hear about growing opportunities and leadership and training, equipping, empowering, all these exciting things to make a difference in our community. But understand something, with all of that, if we do all of that well, but we don't have the most central thing that Jesus lived, illustrated, taught, preached, and that's love, then we don't really have anything. What we have to learn to do as a church, as a community, as a people, is love one another the way Jesus loves us. That is the series that we are in. We're finishing it today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If we want people to love the Jesus that we love, if you're watching online, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say there's something inside of you that's stirred towards issues of faith, church, following Jesus. And if you desire other people to love this God that you love, well, guess what? It begins with how you treat and love the people around you. And when people are difficult, which we all are, how do we do that really well? I am so glad that you asked. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to take it from the top and read it all the way through verse 7. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, I gain nothing. Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Ouch. Let me say that one again. It's not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he's writing this list of, of things that love isn't and the things that love is. But understand something. This is not the ultimate exhaustive list on what love is and isn't. Okay, you'll notice he doesn't mention anything about love being sacrificial. He doesn't talk about love being bold or love being courageous. He doesn't talk about how love at times has to correct and has to adjust the dials. He doesn't really even mention that love forgives, even though he, he does say that love keeps no record of wrongs. But he's speaking to very specific issues that are happening in Corinth. And I believe that some of the challenges that this church is facing our churches are, are, are issues that our American churches and Western churches, our church, can really, truly grow from in this moment. Church in Corinth is wealthy. The church in Corinth is growing. The church in Corinth is gifted. I mean, they got all the kinds of things going on, except problem is they lack the thing that they need most of all. And that is a radical, almost ridiculous, crazy Love for one another. They don't know how to love well. Instead, they're jockeying for position. There's backbiting. There's gossip. Here, here's some of the things. There's a celebration. If you read uh, around 1 Corinthians 13, there's a celebration literally of sexual immorality in the church. So a lack of purity. And people are like, yeah, this is awesome. There's divorce that's taking place. And I realize difficult things happen. Choices have to be made but we don't celebrate it or encourage it. Lawsuits are taking place between one uh, person, one party and another within the church because they want money. They're, they're, there's a lack of forgiveness. There's anger and hatred and there's literally suit, lawsuits taking place. And so this morning, as we talk about loving one another, one of the things that I'm going to speak to you about is what we need to reject as people of faith and what we need to celebrate. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil. Now, those are big words. Okay, The, the word evil, that carries with it some heft, some weight. If I were to ask you, Right? Like, what, what do you struggle with as a Christian? Or, you know, what are some challenges that you have? I don't think anybody's going to lead with, I really struggle with delighting in evil, okay? Uh, that's a real issue for me. I delight in things that are evil. Uh, so if you throw that out in a small group or a life group or, I mean, people are getting in their cars and they're driving home, right? 
People don't want to necessarily be in proximity to somebody who is saying that they delight in evil, okay, right? And yet Paul is talking to the church here. He's addressing love because this is their problem, which means we probably need to adjust what we think and perceive as evil. When I think of evil, I think of, you know, a mad, maniacal, you know, tyrant, a dictator, uh, when I was when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, there was a show that I used to love to watch called He Man. Okay, it was it was the greatest cartoon in the history of the world. Come at me right now! I will fight you on this. Okay, I had the sword. I ran around the house, lifting it up in the air. I had the action figures. One of the villains, her name was Evil Lynn. Okay, and she did everything she could with her magic powers to thwart the heroic efforts of He-Man. But here's the thing. She used the, the, her, her same maniacal tendencies she used towards villains as well. Okay, She was constantly conniving and constantly jockeying for position and control and rule and power and all the things. It didn't matter who was around her. She was what we would describe as evil. But I have bad news for you. Because evil is not just reserved for cartoon villains or people throughout history who have done really horrible, terrible things that make the pages of of the history books. Evil actually has uh, quite a great deal of implication for you and for me. When you look at the definition of evil, it literally just means the absence of that which is right and the absence of that which is good. So if you find yourself celebrating that which isn't right or that which isn't good, you're actually partnering with and delighting in that which is evil. In Mark chapter 14, we see this play out with Judas, the one who betrays Jesus. Let's read what happens as Judas betrays Jesus. In fact, before we read it, I'll even give you just a little context for it. The Pharisees, the teachers of their law, they're they're waiting for an opportunity to make Jesus pay. Okay, this is these are the teachers of of that which is to be righteousness and that which is good. The, the ones who uphold the law, they're to model and teach what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Okay, they're supposed to be the main representatives of this. And yet we find something contrasting in Mark chapter 14. We see it consistently. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Verse 11. They were delighted to hear this, and they promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. For clarity's sake... Judas is, 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 is looking to betray Jesus. We don't celebrate this. This is a man that, that, that healed the sick. He opened blind eyes. Those who were paralyzed could walk. He taught. He preached. He drove out evil spirits. Those who were poor, he gave food to. He literally multiplied food. He raised the dead. One of the reasons the crowd loved Jesus is because they benefited from his compassion and kindness at every turn. 
But those who didn't like it, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, oh, they were looking for an opportunity. And when Judas, all for a little bit of side cash, betrayed Jesus, understand this, he betrayed him. The Pharisees, those who were to represent righteousness, they were delighted at the opportunity. It's a complete flipping of the script. I'll give an example from my own life uh, in this, well, I'll just bear some of my own moments before you. We all had them. You know, a couple years ago, you know, my, all my kids go to a, the same school, and there was, a, there was a moment with another child at school. And it wasn't serious. It wasn't a big deal. They were trying to outdo one another with scary stories and this and that. And without getting into all the details, one of the kids was really bothered by something one of our kids said. They told their parents. And guess what? Some very instrumental and convenient details were left out of the account and the story. P.S. If you're a parent, your kids will do that all the time. They love to tell you a story and leave out some very critical details that do not implicate themselves. This is what kids do, okay? And this is exactly what happened here. It's just a misunderstanding. But before we got to the understanding side of it, all of a sudden we had a family show up unannounced at the front door of our home, and they were ready to burn the joint down. They were mad. And I was upstairs, and all of a sudden I hear, I hear Amy talking to this family in the foyer of our, our, of our home. And I flew down the stairs with the speed of a cheetah, and I'm like, are we doing this? Is this happening right now? Because <laughs> I'm here for it, okay? And we had to work through this, and we kind of worked through it. You know, there was a little bit of just, you know, agreeance, also a little bit of agree to disagree. And at the end of the day... Um, Somebody still called the school, still reported and filed an official complaint. And we had to sit down with counselors and sit down with this and sit down. It was, it was silly and laughable to the school administration that we had to go through it all. But understand, I was mad about it. This family had created some unnecessary hardship and might I even add pain for one of my kids. And I was not happy about it. Now, you're getting a lot of details here, but the, the, the crux of the story that we're getting to in this moment is my response right here. Because I'd like to tell you that my heart was stirred to prayer for this family. But it wasn't. In fact, I can go so far as to say that there was a little part of me that was just kind of waiting with bated breath for maybe something difficult, a little bit painful, maybe even a little bit hard to happen to them because it would have made me feel just a little bit more justified. It would have made me feel secretly even a little bit happy. That's just an example from my own life, but what about yours? Right? We're all difficult people. The whole series that we're in is about the, the, the complications and challenges that we have as humans inside the church, outside the church, and everything in between. Has somebody ever done something to you? And, and you 
you know, all of a sudden somebody creates hardship for you and, and you see a little bit later that they're now experiencing hardship. But rather than being concerned or grieved over the pain and difficulty that they're experiencing, there's a part of you, maybe even a large part of you, that's secretly a little bit happy about the misfortune that they are experiencing. Ever felt that way before? Somebody creates pain for you, does something to you, you know, and instead of having God's heart for them, you secretly are just a little bit delighted that they're experiencing pain and difficulty. There's a little pep in your step because the universe has righted the wrong that you experienced. Don't even get me started on the universe, okay? We'll, we'll save that for another, for another sermon. But we all know this. We all understand what it is like to celebrate the wrong things. And when this is the disposition of our heart, you need to understand that when Paul writes about you and I as Christians not delighting in evil, these are the kinds of things he's referring to. Your heart and my heart should beat with godly concern for the well-being of everyone, regardless of whether they have created pain or hardship for us. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a cooling off period, okay? That doesn't mean that, that you have to be friends or BFFs with everyone, but that our heart should beat with godly concern. When Jesus hung on the cross... And he extended forgiveness even in this moment. Even in that moment. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That was, yes, extended to those who were crucifying him. And yet it was also an, a, a, a declaration of forgiveness to all of humanity for the wrongdoing that we have done to Christ Jesus. Our sin is what led him to the cross. We are undeserving of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that Jesus extends to us. How much more now do we in turn extend the same kind of love, grace, and forgiveness to everyone else? And you might think to yourself, Andy, that's impossible. You're right. It is impossible. But thanks be to Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross having lived a life that we could not live. He did this kind of living. He loved in a way that you and I could not possibly love. And he did it perfectly. And then he went to the cross and he died for us and, and he rose again on the third day. Why? Because sin had no hold on him. And he stepped out of the grave victorious over sin and death. And then eventually ascends back to the Father. But you know what he does? He gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to everyone who would believe. And what does the Holy Spirit allow you and I to do? It allows us to love and live and lead like Jesus. And so now that which was impossible without God becomes possible with God. This is what it looks like. To reject a life that delights in evil and now begin to rejoice with the truth. 
To rejoice with the truth, another way to say that is that we celebrate God's standard of righteousness. What's good, what's right, what's holy. This is what we celebrate. Christians who are called to love one another and love like Jesus, we never celebrate brokenness or sin. We don't celebrate despair or pain or hardship. We don't celebrate that. We don't delight in that. We talk about delighting in evil as it pertains to our relationships. But understand something, even within the community of faith, if you remember, uh, one of the things that the Corinthian church was doing is they were delighting in sexual immorality in the church, divorce in the church, lawsuits in the church, backbiting and, and jockeying for position. All of these things bear out in our relationships. And even in your own life, when we talk about celebrating and rejoicing with the truth and not delighting in evil, right? This, this has bearing on the details and the nuance and minutia of your life. Yes, the person that has caused you hardship, but even as something as, as innocuous as the TV shows that you watch, the books that you read, do you delight in evil? You know what it's like when you're watching a show and nowadays, it's, it is difficult to find a show that doesn't have some kind of, you know, uh, rating that with massively inappropriate content. And you know what it's like when your heart begins to skip a step and there's a stirring that's happening because you want to see something you know you're not supposed to see. Your eyes looking upon something you know your eyes shouldn't be looking at. This is what it looks like to delight in evil. Or a book that you know, I need, to read, I need to put this down. This is not right. This is not God's standard of righteousness. Therefore, I am putting it away. I'm putting it in the trash. I'm getting rid of it. I'm deleting it out of iBooks. Whatever it is, because you do whatever is necessary to rejoice with the truth and not to delight in evil. Sin is always an occasion for sorrow and it is never an occasion for joy. It's never a moment that we celebrate or delight or we allow our hearts to be stirred towards. This is not what it looks like to love like Jesus. I've mentioned this before, but as a church, we're more or less relaunching after having not met in the better part of a year. And that means we're going to be driving values and vision and heart into our church afresh. You're going to hear things like foundations. You're going to hear things like the purple book. I'm not even getting into the details of all now. You're going to hear about it soon enough. You're going to hear about us building with strength and conviction. One of our values as a church is lordship. That Jesus is Lord. This is who we are. And if Jesus is Lord, then, then that means we follow him. Life magazine had a list of the 100 most influential people. And Jesus would have been number one as the most influential person in the history of the world. But the writer said he couldn't put Jesus as number one, namely due to the fact that his followers, more often than not, don't do what he actually commanded them to do. I find that to be convicting, bothering, frustrating. Yeah, is it short-sighted? Oh, of course, right? Christians have done amazing things throughout the history of the world. 
Okay, we can acknowledge that. But yet I, I, I read this and I, and I think to myself, this makes me want to do self-inventory on how I love my neighbor how I love the people around me, how I love the people who have harmed me. Am I also caring, am I loving God in this moment by caring for the manner in which I'm stewarding my life? The Bible says this in Psalm 119. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. In Ephesians, Paul writes that the message that he preaches is the message of truth. Jesus is described as the way, the truth, and the life. This is what we are to delight in. This is what we are to rejoice in. We don't delight in evil. We rejoice with the truth. Now, many of us, you know, if you, if you have, well... I don't know what you did on Easter. Hopefully you were with us on Easter. But many people get Easter pictures, right? You know, then they've got the camera and the little selfie shot. And if you've got kids, everybody's getting crammed together. Okay? And you're you're jamming up in the photo. You've got your Easter best on. And you're with one another. You're together. You're smashed together. You're, you're, You're all in the shot together. This is what it looks like to be with someone. So when the Bible talks about rejoicing with the truth. This isn't just that you would have intellectual assent as to what is right and wrong. It's that, that you would walk in partnership with the truth. And what is truth? Truth is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation of God's standard of righteousness in the flesh. And we talk about rejoicing with the truth. You are walking hand in hand, arm in arm, step in step with the Holy Spirit with Jesus and with God the Father. This is what it looks like to rejoice with the truth. There's proximity here. It's not that you would just believe it in your mind. It's that your life would literally reflect it in your day-to-day actions. The sum of God's word is truth. The word of God in the flesh is Jesus Christ. The message of truth, the gospel of what Jesus has done for you, it's called the message of truth. And it has the ability, when you put your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done, to change your life forever. And it changes how you love one another. And now, you you rejoice with the truth. What does that look like as we celebrate God's standard of righteousness? Jesus being exalted in our community, it means that now when when people put something away that we know doesn't honor Jesus, they take a step towards righteousness, what do we do? We celebrate that. We rejoice in it. We delight in it. I got a message Sunday from somebody who, who had put their faith in Jesus, 
right? And, and, and they made a decision to follow him. You know what I do? I, we celebrate that. I celebrate that. Why? Because it's a, it's a massive step, might I add, in, in the pursuit of God's righteousness. When somebody puts aside impurity and in, instead picks up purity, guess what? We celebrate that. When someone puts aside revenge and vengeance and instead picks up forgiveness, what do we do? We celebrate that because God's righteousness is being Upheld. When someone puts aside wrath and rage and quick-temperedness and instead picks up peace and patience and gentleness and takes a step towards God and upholding his standard of righteousness, what do we do? We celebrate that. I fist bump that. We raise our hands and say, yes, amazing. Look what God is doing. When someone gives you the news that they got engaged, what do you do? You celebrate it. You rejoice in it. When somebody tells you that, they, that they're pregnant or they got that new job or, or the great, there's great news happening, what do you do? You rejoice together. And when people and you and our church take steps in and towards righteousness, the upholding of God's truth, this is not a small thing. Because the people of God, guess what we do? We don't delight in evil, but we rejoice with the truth. And so we celebrate. That's what we're called to do. That's what it looks like to love one another well. We reject a life that delights in evil. And we celebrate when God's truth and his righteousness wins the day. We celebrate it. Some of you, you know, you've done a good job of not, you know, you're, you've kind of cut some things out and off of your life. But, but there is a, there's a passion, a heart, a, a celebration, an actual action step that you need to take as somebody who's growing in love in learning to cheer one another on, becoming that encourager, becoming that person who celebrates when God is doing something great in someone's life. What does it look like to love one another? Well, we've got a long list right here in 1 Corinthians 13. But we're wrapping things up today by reminding each other that we are called to be people who rejoice with the truth. We celebrate it at every single turn. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in this moment. God, that you're calling us to be a different kind of people. A people who elevate your word, who elevate truth, your standard of righteousness, lived perfectly through your son Jesus. God, this is what we rejoice with. This is what we uphold. This is what we declare. This is what we, we, we aim to live by. God, we reject delighting in evil and we rejoice with the truth. Help us to become that kind of people. Convict us in this moment. God, if we are the kind of people who are delighting in the wrong things, help us to have the courage to, to say no. Help us to have the courage to cut things off. Help us to have the courage to truly follow you, Jesus, as Lord. And help us to take a step of faith 
to become the kind of people that rejoice and celebrate in what you're doing. Help us to become that, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, it's so great to be here with you this morning, preaching through 1 Corinthians 13. And here's what I want to invite and encourage you to do, to keep your ears open. We're going to spend a lot of time this summer investing in the truth, the word of God, becoming central or reminding you for the word of God to become central in your life. This is what makes a church strong, and this is what helps us to love like Jesus loves. When the truth of who God is and the truth of his word are central in our life. So you're going to hear about some things coming up in the weeks to come about foundations, about the purple book. You're going to hear about some different Bible studies and opportunities. Don't neglect those. God is shaping us and strengthening us to be the kind of church we need to be in the next season and chapter of our spiritual family. Can't wait to walk with you. Can't wait to grow with you. It's going to be a great time. See you next week right here.